Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Good evening, everyone. So glad that you're here on this uh, Sunday night in a cold February. My name is Jake. Um, I have the privilege of uh, what we might call hosting this uh, conversation panel tonight about relationships. So glad that you're here. So we had a, a number of questions that got submitted over the past few weeks. And so tonight we have our panel members, uh, Pastor Daniel and Amanda, Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie, and then Pastor David and Jessica, if you want to make your way up. They're going to be our, our uh, panel members tonight, giving us some wisdom from the Word of God. So welcome them. But whenever we are going into panels, I like to uh, remind myself, but also all of us, that we need to be not only hearers of the word, but doers, right? And so when you ask a question, when questions get posed, kind of what we always assume is that if one person asks something, usually there's many other people who would relate to the question. So as, as students of Jesus, let's, let's be doers. Let's not just hear, but let's receive with humility and then follow through and apply God's word. Amen? Amen. So we're going to jump into uh, this relationship panel. How are you guys doing? Good? Okay. We're just going to jump right into it tonight. And uh, we're going to start off with this first question. And whoever wants to answer it, just jump on in. Um, Don't do the awkward silence. So if you got something, just go, okay? So can someone have peace to divorce their spouse? Yes, they can have peace. Okay, no. Wait till I'm done. I don't think you would say yes if I finish this question. So wait, okay? Can someone have peace to divorce their spouse if they're simply not being a good spouse, not supportive financially or responsible? No. (laughs) You share your thought, Mom. Go. My thought is there's not a marriage that doesn't have difficulties. And if you married someone that you thought was perfect, they probably married someone they thought were perfect. And you probably disappointed them. And they disappointed you. I mean, it goes both ways. We're not, um, uh, it's work. And when you marry someone, I mean, there's all kinds of situations, like sometimes you get married and then you get saved and the other person doesn't quite yet. So you've got all these different situations and, I know you're probably looking at me if you ask that question. You think, yeah, but you don't know (laughs) what I have to live with. And no, I don't know what you have to live with, but you don't know what I have to live with. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding. He can be a stinker. (laughs) But what makes it work is forgiving and forgiving and keeping on forgiving and saying, God, you're not done with me yet. You're not done with him yet. So... What do you want to do with him? How can I support what you want to do for him and make that the good things that you have planned for him? How can I stay out of the way and support and, and pray? And, uh, you know, the Bible says to taste and see that God is good. Sometimes you're the taste that other people get of how good God is. And so, you know, in a marriage, give each other a taste of how good God is every day and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, the, the, oh. the, the thought, well, if someone has peace, 
In Philippians chapter 4, it talks about the, there's a peace that the world can have. You can have, I'm going to have peace when I don't have this problem and that problem. But the Bible talks about the peace of God that passes all understanding. Right? There's a difference between having no conflict and having the peace of God. And it's the peace of God that is supposed to be the umpire in making all of our decisions. So I'm, I'm in agreement with everybody else. Uh, just because things aren't working out just great right now does not mean you can jump out of your marriage. Yeah, and I, I think they, the way the question's worded, whether it's what they meant or not, says if they're not being a good spouse. Um, there's a difference between good spouse and unfaithful spouse and physically abusive spouse. But when they're looking going, hey, I don't like it. Right now it's, it's hard. Um, when you got married, you coveted for better or worse, for sickness or health, for plenty or want and joy and in sorrow. So if you're experiencing sorrow, want, um, and sickness, you're like, yes, that stinks. But you promised that. That's like what you signed up for. You said, hey, I'm here through thick and through thin. And you have found thin. Um, so like... You get to go, all right, God, um, have your way in me and have your way in our marriage. And our marriage may need some Jesus. So the answer isn't run, it's bring it to Jesus. That's good. Yeah, next question. How do you navigate being married to an unbeliever? Um, Doesn't want to be actively engaged with God or the church. So 1 Corinthians 7.13 says, uh, And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So that's basically saying, if he wants to stay with you, even if he's not a believer, you just keep being the light of Jesus, just as Dwayne said earlier. You keep being that light, you keep presenting the gospel of we get to be Jesus to them and let them see the goodness of God at work inside of you. And then you just pray and you hope that he will change his heart. Because we can't make anybody do anything, but we can continue to point him towards the Lord. Hey, uh, 1 Peter 3, is it this way? Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, if they're not believers, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. In other words, the Bible just says if you're living with a non-believer, be an example. Just be an example. You don't need to preach it. You need to live it. Hmm. And the gospel and living for Jesus, it is powerful. There is power, not just warm fuzzies, mm-hmm. but life-changing power. And when you know that and believe it, you can get up with a different attitude and say, you know what? He, I don't have to say anything today, but the power of God is, is going to move in that man's life or that woman's life. It goes both ways, whichever, um, because God is at work in me. I recently heard a testimony about Smith Wigglesworth. It said, Smith Wigglesworth was a great preacher, but before he was a preacher, he was a plumber who wasn't a Christian nor a very nice man. Fortunately for him, he had a godly wife. He didn't want her to go to church, but she went anyway. When she did, he'd lock her out of the house, and when she came home, she'd have to sleep on the back porch. 
In the morning, he'd unlock the door, and she'd come in and say, good morning, Smitty, and make him breakfast. She was a godly example for him. She prayed uh, for him, and God gave her the grace to be good to him in spite of his rude behavior. And because she continued to be so good to him, he eventually came to know the Lord and was radically changed. And as a result, he became one of the greatest preachers who ever lived. Wow. Praise God. Uh, we'll go on to the next question. Why is it bad to be unequally yoked? Can someone first define what it means to be unequally yoked for those that aren't familiar with the term and then explain why it's bad okay. to be unequally yoked? No, it's a, it's a great question and it partners with the question that came before it. So you have person one who's going, hey, how do I handle the fact that my, my spouse doesn't believe in Jesus like me? The next person is going, why can't I have a spouse who doesn't believe in Jesus like me? Um, because being unequally yoked means one person is loving Jesus and one person is not. Um, you, well, first off, you want to share that which matters most. If we're going in opposite directions, we are not going to be close. And if you're going, I'm going to love Jesus with all my heart, except I'm going to leave his direction to follow you, that doesn't work. And recognizing that that's a battle. And I have talked to countless people who are decades into this battle. And they're sitting here going, pray with me for my spouse. We're not giving up on my spouse. And I am proud of them, but do not sign up for that. Not only is it difficult, but it's disobedient. And so if you think I'm just loving Jesus and going to win them to Jesus, you are disobeying Jesus in pursuing them. In... Uh, there, there's a couple of verses. Six, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And then in chapter 7, it addresses Christian widows. And it says, A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if, he, if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. And it says this, hey, if you are seeking God, then that needs to be um, top priority. And you don't want to get into this, like, first off, I can't get into this and obey God. Secondly, I need to acknowledge that if my spouse believes differently than me, this is going to make it really difficult to navigate children. And going, I think that I believe with all of my heart that heaven is for real and that hell is for real. And to have your spouse not believe that and to pull your kids away and to take your kids to hell would be miserable. And to, to have that would be something I would not wish upon anyone. Maybe I can share a testimony of that. Um, back when I was 27, um, I was living out in California. I had been dating a guy. And um, at that time, I was going to a church and we were praying through the Bible uh, together in one year. And um, every morning I'd open up and I'd start the Bible reading plan. And that night God had said, Blueberry Farm. And I thought that was strange, so I wrote it at the top of the paper. And then I continued to read. And then days later, um, it happened to be uh, around Memorial Day weekend, I had spent time with his family and God had given me a red flag. And um, for some people, it might have seemed like really small, like the littlest thing, but uh, when you get to see their family, you get to see a lot about 
who that person is and what drives them and like what shaped them. And so um, 17 days later from that point when God said Blueberry Farm, I get a call from my parents back in Michigan and they say, hey, we just bought a blueberry farm. Do you want to move back to Michigan to help manage the property? And that was like a clear sign. And at that day, I was in Joshua 23 and 21 through 23, and it said, every one of God's promises God fulfilled. Not one of them did he fail. He fulfilled every one of them. And it continued to say that, yet the people inter, uh, don't intermarry. Don't intermarry. Because if you do, they'll become thorns in your eyes, thorns in your flesh. And it continued on to say, and you know in your heart and in your soul that not one of God's promises did he f- uh, fail. Every one of them he fulfilled. And in that moment, it was as though God said, I could fulfill every one of my promises for you, but you could take your authority, your free will, and go and marry this person where I've clearly given you a red flag. And sometimes we dismiss flags and like, God, I need to hear from you. And God's giving you all these red flags. What do you need? Like a color guard to come and march through. So it was like God was very clear. And he was just like, you can, uh, I could fulfill all of these promises for you, but you could choose to marry this person that uh, will not, that'll cause you to not experience the abundant life that I've promised you. And thorns in your eyes and thorns in your side, that is not the abundant life that God has promised. And so I ended up moving back. I mean, it was, and what was so peculiar about the situation was, um, I said, you know, and I told him this testimony, and I said, I'm moving back, and uh, we parted ways pretty amicably. And um, within a short time, I ended up meeting David and the rest is history. <laughs> so I'm going to throw a little curveball here, ask a follow-up to this question. So let's say you are a parent of middle school, high school. First question, and I'll let you kind of like see who wants to pick one. How do you start having, what do you need to start saying to your kids in, at those ages as it pertains to marriage and being unequally yoked? What, what should we start saying at a young age? And then let's say you're a, a parent of an adult child and, and you see your child dating someone that you don't approve of. You see there's an, some unequally yoking going on. How do you have that conversation without, in a sense, pushing them away by being too controlling, if that makes sense? So parent of adult children, but also parent of maybe teenage slash um, pre-teenage. Thinking of the teenage era, because that's what I'm entering. <laughs> um, one of the things I think and being in youth ministry for so many years, one of the things I saw so much fruit from was instead of people focusing on the relationship they were in, putting more focus on that child's relationship with God and pointing them towards the Lord and, okay, let's go to this conference together. Let's read our Bible together. Let's, instead of having separate devotions, let's have devotions together. Because when you go to God's word, just like you said earlier with it being unequally yoked, If they want to honor God and they want to love God, then when they see that God says don't do that, then it becomes easier to be like, oh, do you recognize that this is happening? And I know you want to honor God. And it becomes less of a a fight or, oh, mom just doesn't like her, but more of a, oh, that's what God's word says, and I promise that I wanted to honor God. I would say definitely avoid the... um, just making a big, huge conflict out of it. 
uh, of saying that um, I taught you better than this. You know, there's no, the Holy Spirit convicts us, but he doesn't shame us. And so if we try to use shame and, or, you know, certain, um, we don't overcome evil with evil. We overcome with good. And the word, it, Psalm 119, verse 34, says, give me understanding and I will keep your laws and obey it with all my heart. And sometimes the kids just haven't understood everything. So helping them, helping your children understand the consequences of choices, the direction, the path. Um, I know when Daniel was away in Australia and choosing, uh, thinking, getting to that time where he's praying for a wife. And, and in, some, in Proverbs 5, it gives some clear instruction about discerning the heart of another. And in this case, he was talking to his son, so he was talking about a wife. And he says, pay attention to my wisdom and lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion. So that needs preserved, and your lips may keep knowledge. And then he goes on and talks about the, the immoral woman uh, or an immoral man, about what their lips are like, how their speech is like. Well, they drip honey. They may talk really sweet right now, but like in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood. Sharp, her tongue is as sharp as two-edged sword. You know, how does she talk about her parents behind their back? How does he... Um, treat the cashier and then, you know, really politely and then turn and mock and make fun. You know, I mean, there's just different signs and things that you help your children be discerning, just like she was to help them know how to apply the word in their situation of choosing relationships. Um, one of the things that you have to, to know, Proverbs gives us a warning. It says that an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. And a lot of times, like, if if we come at it and we attack our kid's friend, our kid will go on defensive for their friend. You have a battle and logic is nowhere in sight. It is completely emotionally driven and whether your kid agrees with you or not doesn't matter. You've attacked their friend and they will fight you to the bitter end. And if you come at it with just a, I just don't like, or you just need to break up, this person's not good, and you call it out, um, the odds of them listening are somewhere between one in a hundred and one in a million. <laughs> now, um, but back to what some of them, them said of going, all right, if, if instead of going, you can't and this person's bad, if I can go, hey, what should you find? What is important? No longer are you fighting me but you're now starting to, to go, well, I don't know. All right, well, what does the Bible say? Uh, they should be a Christian. All right, yeah, absolutely. That's number one. In fact, I can't tell you how many students I have helped make a list of what they should find. Rather than it being my list, I sat them down and said, hey, what's the most important thing? What do you need to find in a spouse? And started saying, hey, write it down so that you can recognize them when you find them. And had them write it. But if you have this conversation... And instead of it being, hey, I told you I didn't like her, it was, hey, what, what did you say was the most important thing? Oh, they honor God. Oh, okay. Are they honoring God? And now we can ask questions and let them see what they already know. But if I just come into battle, like I remember... 
I had a friend, and this is like, I don't know if, what grade I was in, but it was back when big jeans were in, not this time around, but the time before. So, uh, like, they were like stupidly large jeans. Like, you could fit both legs in one jean, and it would look like a skirt. And uh, dur- during this, one of my friends um, started wearing them, and honestly, I thought they were ridiculous. They looked a lot like clown pants. But mom made a comment, and rather than even asking me what I thought about them, where I just said, they look ridiculous. Like, big is cool, but that's unfunctional. She, she attacked them. And I remember going to battle with mom, even though I agreed with her. Um, but she was attacking my friend and recognizing some of that and going, all right, if we can steer things with some questions, if we can take them to God's word rather than just to, this is my opinion, but going, and, and sometimes someone doesn't want to be steered as easy, so you have to ask steering questions before that. You're like, all right, hey, um, you know, do you want to honor God? Yes. All right. Well, then I can get to, well, what does God say? And like, but when we do that, we get so much more voice. Great. Thank you, guys. Let's move on to the next question. How do I find godly people to date in their 20s and 30s? Where do they find them, Pastor Dwayne? <laughs> you, you find them serving God. Serving God, yeah. Yeah, serving God. Being where God's at, being where the fellowship has, being where there's worship. Um, and, you know, you, you want somebody that loves and serves God. I'll tell you what impressed me about this dude. Um, when, before we, well, we were kind of being friends and, um, he he went, we went to, I wanted to go to this home where they had these, um, battered, abused, um, disabled children and babies. It was kind of an orphanage, but it was, it was just really hard place to go and be to love on these broken bodies and, and, um, and I saw him. He didn't just take me and then sit back and like, well, okay, she's going to go love those unlovable creatures, those babies that have been, you know, he didn't sit back. He went in and he, he held their hands and he prayed for them and he, he touched them. And I just watched his heart. And a lot of times doing things, serving God, that's where you meet people that are good at serving. I would add to that, I know. Uh, we have a youngest up here, so I just how I found her is be in places that are most common with that person. I mean, if it's serving, serve with them. If you both love serving, you'll have something in common already. And I think there's something about believers. Uh, I think church is, is the greatest matchmaker, better than any website you could ever go to. Why? Because you get to see that person you're interested in worship. You get to see them respond to altar call. You get to see them hang around other older people. You get to see them attend Bible study. So if the things that are pulling you are not the things pulling her, that's a great caution. A lot of believers, a lot of us wait for the red flag. But could we get used to some caution flags, the yellow ones, you know, the ones that say proceed with caution, you know, rather than turn around and go. So I, if I could give that how to find, if you're in your 20s, it's, it's, 
the better place. I know there's so many options in today's world. You know, Match.com, eHarmony, they do this whole pin, ping on your life. But if you ask yourself two questions and say, what is the Lord putting on my heart? If it's a passion for the lost, <laughs> find a person who is passionate about the lost like you are. You know, if it's, man, I want to go to Bible school, I want to be a business person, you know what, your class is immediately. You know, you don't have to really dig deeper. One of the things we have in common is um, I'm, I'm one of those who, if I have any cash on me, I don't know how I spent it. Or I'll give it away. It's, I just see a need and I'm moved to respond immediately. And this is my bricks right here. She's like, <laughs> we want to afford the bills this month if you give that much away, you know? And so it, it, it brings that balance for us because I have a person who values and puts those limits that make sense for her security and not limiting just for me not to. And what a place to find her managing a blueberry farm. <laughs> as, as a missionary, yes. Where you fish determines what you catch. So if you go to the bar, um, don't be surprised if you find an alcoholic. If, you, if as a woman you go dressed like you're selling your body, don't be surprised if you find somebody who only wants you for your body. Like, um, where you fish and what you use for bait determines what you catch. So if you're going, hey, I want to find somebody who's godly, where should godly people be? And start there. Um, if you're in your 20s, get to access. Um, get to our college ministry. Get hanging out with people that are excited. Get involved with the ministry and start serving. And when you start running towards God, then look around and go, who's single and running next to me? Um, and it, it's an amazing thing, but you can't go to where you shouldn't be to find the kind of person that you want to find. And that's where a lot of the world wants to look. And also remembering your purpose. Um, we partner with purpose, not really based on pleasure. I've heard that. Uh, said many times because you look down 20 years from the road, you know, things start to sag, things, things change. You just can't go based on that kind of thing. Like you're really going based on purpose. What is the thing that God has put in your heart? And then when you're following that, like God starts to, you, and you start to know like, what am I called to? You start trying to find alliances with those people that are going in the same direction as you. So that really helps. That's really good. Next question, what's one discipline or daily habit you do with your spouse that keeps you close? So one discipline or daily habit that keeps you close. Definitely letting the Holy Spirit be, um, first giving him priority, preeminence. Um, when we first wake up, we really like to hear from the Lord. <laughs> Um, he can tell when I haven't had my Bible study, like somebody hasn't had their Bible study. I'm a completely different person. So, I mean, when I get filled with the love of God first, um, I can come to him from a place of abundance and overflowing with just a different countenance. But if I come like without having tended to my soul, you know, he'll see that in our interaction. And I think that really helps us. Um, one time, uh, I was about to say something, and I go, and he goes, what just happened there? 
I was getting ready to say something that wasn't in line with scripture and the Holy Spirit kind of just tangled my lips. And sometimes it's really allowing the Holy Spirit to, um, to interrupt what you're going to say. And so um, when we allow the Holy Spirit and just allowing the word of God to be uh, first in our hearts, uh, we're able to typically minister to each other better. And so we found that that's been really helpful. Yeah, one of the two things we do, I think we do this more often. The first thing we do in the morning is pray together. Uh, we don't have to be in the same room because I like to go in the basement and she likes to stay in the bedroom. So, but we're both seeking God. And, and the last thing we usually do at the end of the day is tell me three things. Two I can improve on, one that I did well. And that's, we call that the pillow talk before you go to sleep. And my response is to just be like, okay, sure, that's it. There's no explaining. There is no uh, defense in it. It's just those three things. And then, and then we go to sleep. That's good. So one of the things that we do, <laughs> just to try to set this up in case you're not sure what I mean. Do you know how when you first come home and the dog greets you at the door? And they're super excited every time as if this has never happened before. They've never seen you. You are the most amazing human ever. <laughs> That's kind of how we try to keep it our marriage, is this idea of as soon as he gets home, I'm so excited to see you. And when I pass by him in the kitchen, I don't just walk by. I'll grab him, he'll grab me. If we kiss, it's not like, oh, I kissed my grandma. It's a kiss. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, it's just... <laughs> but those are the little things that we've seen other couples that don't maintain that affection and that physical touch tend to have more of this roommate mentality with their spouse and kind of this uh, falling out of love type thing. So we're like, we are going to be intentional to always act like we did when we first got married, when you're super excited and when, just like the dog does. That's just the best visual I can give. Oh, it's, it, that's huge. A um, couple other things real quick. Um, choosing our words carefully. Um, Proverbs says that reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The amount of relationships, marriage or not, that have been completely destroyed by careless words is beyond number. And so deciding that in our home, I will speak life and my words will bless my wife. My words will not be a curse. Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat of its fruit. And I have the opportunity to, like, She's amazing, but she's not Jesus. Um, and she makes mistakes. And I can use those mistakes to rip her to shreds. Or I can use whatever the successes have been to speak life. Or wherever there was a failure, I can look at where there's an opportunity that surrounds it. And I can use my words to build, them, build her up. In Ephesians, it says that Christ washes the church with, with his word. I can wash, cleanse, and present my wife to the Lord, built up with my words. And as we do, it builds so much security, which is a, one of a woman's greatest needs. And it sets up so much when I choose my words and my tone carefully. Um, yeah. That's good. Um, when I first read this question, and that was all very spiritual and very, very good, 
Um, <laughs> my first thought wasn't so spiritual. It just said, how do you stay close? Well, hold his hand. He can't get away. <laughs> um, but really, on the, people say absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I found out that really is not true. It's thankfulness that makes the heart grow fonder. So if you're absent one from another, but um, you're thankful for each other, you can hardly wait to get back together. You can't wait for him to get home from that trip or whatever. But thankfulness will always, that draws us closer to each other. Um, Habits we do every day. Um, Every day we do our confessions together. Every day we have communion together after we do our confessions. And I think for me, that's a a really good time. And um, we read together. And we read together. You read to me, and I like it. (laughs) That's part of the together. Just do things together. Be together. Choose to choose it. And, you know, when you've got kids and jobs and other things that try to pull you apart, um, you have to be more purposeful to do life together. That's good. Next question, uh, what, do you, what recommendations are there for a couple that is engaged in premarital sex and now wants to move forward in God's way? Stop. Stop. Decide you're going to stop. Um, the way that God, how we say this, put marriage together is the foundation for marriage is trust. Right? And the easiest time to build that trust is before you get married. Uh, when there is a physical attraction, there's emotional attraction, and you, the other person has the same attraction, and you say, you know what? We're going to put God first. We're going to do this God's way. Right? That builds trust. Where, on the other hand, if you're just engaging in sex before you're married, then you get married, you, your, your business trip takes you someplace for two days, And your spouse is going, well, before we were married, this is what we did. He knew it was wrong. He was doing it. What's he doing now that he's not doing wrong or or that he knows is wrong? In other words, the trust is not there. So you build that trust before you're married. So I'd say stop and just say, look, I am sorry. I'm going to repent before you. I repent before God. And we're going to build God's way put a good, solid foundation. What would you say to someone who, let's say they weren't Christian or maybe the cultural Christians, they come to church, they're, they get born again and they're like, we're doing this God's way, but they'd been living together for two years. They're, their whole life is joined together, but they're hesitant to get married. Maybe because they're like, oh, what's the point of marriage anyway? It's just a document, okay. but they're having sex, but they're like, yeah, what would you say to those? I'd say, come to my office Thursday, we'll get married. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, you're confident you've got the right one. We've done that. that. Just get married. He's done it. He says, well, just stop right now and let's set the date and get married. And and know that it's worth it. I think that's huge to know that it's worth it choosing God's way, even though it's different than the way you've been doing it. Proverbs 10, 29. And you can write this down because it's good. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright. Every time... You start choosing God's way. Every time you choose God's way, it does. It builds you. It makes you stronger. So in this case, too, in your relationship, what a great thing to realize. Wow, um, we're going to choose and do it God's way, and it'll make us and our marriage stronger. Absolutely. 
Romans uh, 13, verse 14. Uh, i read this in a second, but um, as I've talked to a lot of people who are like, all right, hey, we've decided we want to do it differently, but how do we stop? Um, and I look and it says, um, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. If you have been in a relationship and you already have a, a habit of, of having sex together, it is not going to magically just poof away. Um, if you are healthy, you are going to have some desires. You like that person, so you're going to have to set up um, roadblocks and not leave, leave room. So that means um, don't hang out at night on the bed if you're not planning to sleep together. Like, it's, it's setting up some safeguards going, hey, if we head down these roads, this always leads to sex. If we're going to wait to have sex until we get married, then we have to not hang out go down those roads. When we got in, like when we were dating, and we, we dated, didn't date for very long because I was going to leave no room for the flesh. So we dated for three weeks and got engaged for seven. Um, but in, in this time, we said, hey, you know what? We're not going to hang out in a house alone because that's a setup for desires to be gratified that we're working to not gratify. I am choosing to marry you because I like you. I think you're amazing and I find you attractive. Um, and like, so we, we had different safeguards. And so I encourage people set up, um, set up boundaries. And I said, in fact, tell someone that you trust and that you respect the boundaries that you set up and make a rule that you can't move a boundary without talking to the person that you appointed. Because otherwise you're like, we're not going to kiss. Man, you're really good looking. Let's kiss. Like, um, and you're going to change it in the moment based on the emotions or the hormones of the moment. But if we've said, hey, you can, you're an adult, you're allowed to change things, but only after you've talked to that person, you may say, hey, our safeguard I set up was we won't stay out together until, you know, past 10. But that was dumb. We're going to go to a movie with a bunch of people. We want to stay, like, you can set the safeguards. You can move them, but not in the heat of a moment. You need to talk to the person that you appointed. And can I just acknowledge, if it's, if it's not premarital sex, the enemy is going to tempt you with something else. Um, and so uh, let me just say this. Our need for love, connection, belonging are legitimate needs, but we will be tempted to get them satisfied outside the boundary God has established. So whatever it is, the enemy is always going to try to seduce you to get that legitimate need satisfied outside of the word of God, what he has laid, um, or the parameters that God has set. And so, like, sometimes we need a Nathan in our lives. If you remember the story when Nathan confronts David, um, in uh, 2 Samuel 12, 7 through 9, it says, then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you as king over Israel, and I spared you from the hand of Saul. I gave you, uh, you your master's house and put you, your master's wives into your care and under your protection. And I gave you the house, um, royal dynasty of Israel and of Judah. And if that had not been enough, 
I would have given you much, much more. So again, right there, David, he is establishing, he's like, remember what God has done in your life. So sometimes you need to remember what has God done? How have you seen God show up in your life? And um, how has God been faithful? Because that reminds you of God's character. And then it goes on to say, um, why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing this evil in his in his sight, you have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Then Nathan said to David, and, and so just basically, uh, he's reminding him that you have despised the word of the Lord. Anytime you go outside the parameters that God has set, that's you deciding that you're going to go get that need satisfied in an unholy way, which is evil in the sight of God. So he's asking David, like, do you see, like, you have despised the word of the Lord. So whenever we're tempted, you have to recognize, okay, what truth claim has God said in his word, and how is the enemy trying to get you to satisfy it in an illegitimate way? And so, like, he's trying to ask you, do you see, uh, are you making the word of God preeminent in your life? So what position... Are you allowing the word of God in your life in that temptation? So uh, basically, uh, allow the word of God to have priority in your life. Uh, as we're looking through the questions and running low on time, uh, there, was, there was a couple questions on, like, hey, what's the most important thing when I'm dating? What's the most important thing in our marriage? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If you want to have a great marriage, uh, you want to have great relationships, the, the number one thing is we do it God's way. The number one thing is put God first. And it's really easy to go, yeah, yeah, they need to put God first. And God said to forgive me. God said that, like, it's really easy to tell your spouse, would-be spouse, how they should be godly. But... The real question is going, all right, God, am I putting you first? Is God number one in my life? Is God number one in your life? And if you look and you say, hey, he hasn't been. Um, maybe you know a lot about God. Maybe this is your first time in church. If so, welcome. Jesus is calling. He wants a relationship with you. And he wants to be Lord, boss in your life. He wants to be absolutely number one. And he says that whoever calls in his name will be saved. He invites us into a relationship. So I'm going to lead in a prayer. And for anyone who says, hey, I want to make Jesus my Lord. I want to be right with God. I want to build my life on him. I want to know that my sins are forgiven, that I'm on my way to heaven. I want to come back to him. I want you to pray this from your heart with me. So can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? Say, God, thank you for loving me even when I make mistakes. I repent of my sin. I believe that Jesus died and rose again, that his blood paid the price for me. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org 
follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.